You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our sermon this morning, I would invite you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll read the verses 1 through 9. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord our God led you all the way in these in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. We turn now to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 9. We'll read a number of verses from there, a short passage. Matthew 9 at verse 35, we continue to read there the word of the Lord. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Our text this morning is from the Gospel of John. John chapter 4, the verses 27 through 42. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you, what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, 
and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to our text this morning in John 4, 27-42, it's important for all of us, and myself included, to realize that we're not all farmers. In fact, we have some former farmers, some who grew up on farms, but there's really not that many in our congregation who work presently in the farming industry. Maybe some of you have never even been on a farm. You just don't know how things work there. So, to the uninformed, you'll find that things are very simplified for you this morning. In the theme of the sermon, simply this, sowing plus reaping equals harvest. I think that's something we can all understand, especially as I will go on to explain what sowing is and reaping is. You don't sow, you don't get a harvest. You don't reap, you don't get a harvest. Sowing plus reaping equals harvest. Of course, there's a lot more involved to it, but when it gets right down to it, that's what it's all about. That's what the farmer is trying to accomplish. He'll, he'll put his barley seed in the ground. That's sowing. And then he waits. And he waits and he waits some more. And then when the seed has germinated and sprouted and grown into a wheat plant that's topped with grain, a barley plant that's topped with grain, then you gather it. That's reaping. Sowing plus reaping equals a harvest at the end. If you don't sow, no harvest. No reaping, no harvest. We can all understand that. And if we all understand that, then we're going to have an easier time understanding our text this morning. See, the fact that we aren't farmers or don't know how that works might create some barriers to understanding, but That's probably not the biggest problem that we face as we come to this text this morning. The real problem may be that we are not or are not aware of or are not engaged in the activity of being spiritual farmers. It's fine that we might not actually be farmers in our life, but in a way all of us are called to be farmers, spiritual farmers. That is, we might not understand what it means to sow seed and to reap grain. The the seed of God's Word and the grain of the confession of our Savior. We might not be engaged in sowing and reaping eternal life, therefore. It's possible, and perhaps sometimes too much of a reality, that we don't understand the spiritual harvest. We aren't fully engaged in it. We Maybe we don't see the fields that are ready for harvest. Maybe we aren't faithfully sowing the seed. We don't actually reap the results. That's the situation 
that many of us perhaps find ourselves in this morning as God's Word comes to us. So that's what we need to consider as we consider the spiritual harvest. Sowing plus reaping equals harvest. We'll see as we go through our text that the time for this harvest is now. We'll see that the goal of this work of the sowing and the reaping is in fact the harvest. Obvious, perhaps. but Something that we can easily forget. And we'll see in our text the living example of the Samaritans. As it happens, it unfolds right before the eyes of the disciples and right before our eyes. So first then, the time is now. After his conversation with the Samaritan woman, this woman leaves hastily. She She's in such a, a rush to tell others that she has just met the Christ that in fact, she never even gives him the water that he had first asked for. And about the same time, the disciples return home from their food-gathering expedition. They see, and probably they didn't approve of him talking to this woman, but none of them says anything about it. And so, with food in hand, they come and they offer some food to their rabbi. But Jesus refuses. Tired and thirsty though he is, he doesn't receive the food that they give, and he instead is going to use this as another moment of teaching. And he says, I have food that you know nothing about. And just like the Samaritan woman before, and just like Nicodemus before her, the disciples are thinking about things on a physical plane. They're thinking about physical food, and they become confused. Oh, did someone else? We went just went to get him food. Did someone else bring him food? Where did he get this food from? What's he talking about? But again, Jesus is going to use this opportunity, speaking about things in the physical world, to make a profound spiritual point. My food, he says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's my life, he says. Food sustains life. That's my life, my nourishment, my sustenance, is to do what my Father in heaven has commanded. And you'll realize, especially having read Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, that this echoes strongly with those words and the same words that Jesus quotes in Matthew 4, verse 4, while the, while the tempter, Satan, the devil, is tempting him to turn some rocks into bread. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What Moses is talking about in Deuteronomy 8 and what Jesus is talking about here and in Matthew 4 And in Luke 4, what they're talking about is obedience. It's all about obeying every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall live in obedience to God. That's where life is. It's because there is only one God. There's only one creator in this world, and that's God. There's only one purpose for which this world exists, and that is God's purpose. There's only one reason why, with every breath that we draw into our lungs, we continue to live. And it's not, first of all, the air that we breathe. It is God who sustains our life. Everything in this world is heading in one direction. Everything moves at the command of one being. And that's God's direction. 
And that's God's command. So what does it mean to live? To really live a fulfilled, meaningful life? It is to obey God. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's to submit yourself to that God-initiated purpose and direction. It's obedience. And that's Jesus' purpose as he lived in this world and even now as he is ascended to the right hand of God in heaven. It's to do the will of the Father and to finish his work, to finish his harvest work. He lives to obey the Father, and in that he finds life. It doesn't matter if he's thirsty. It doesn't matter if he's hungry, as long as he can obey his Father. You realize how profound this is when you realize that Jesus actually obeyed the Father all the way to what? To death. He obeyed the Father all the way to giving up His life. Where was the life found in that? Well, in this, that the Father raised Him up on the third day. Not even death could take His life because He so submitted it to the will of the Father. God raised Him up to new life. And since it is Jesus' food to do the will of our Heavenly Father. It's our food as well. We shouldn't be saying to ourselves, oh good, I'm glad that Jesus is looking after this so that I can take a vacation or just do whatever I want. Jesus is powerful. He's at the right hand of God. He'll look after it. He doesn't need me. No. God still has a mission in this world to call people to repentance and faith in Him, to call them to glorify His name rather than misuse and abuse it. And God is determined to carry it out. And so Jesus is still determined to carry it out. And Jesus is our Lord. He's not our slave. He's our master. We do His work for Him, not the other way around. We are His servants. We're called to do Jesus' work in this world. So we can't say, well, Jesus is looking after it. I don't have to. No, because Jesus is looking after it. That's why we are called and enlisted into service. It's our food to do the will of God. Jesus is the Father's right-hand man. He's at the Father's right hand, and He's fulfilling that saving and redeeming purpose of God. And so our food is to do that same work, that same harvest work. It's our food to do that. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to get hungry, eager to do God's work. As this passage and many other passages in the Bible teach us, the harvest time is now. I think that's what Jesus means in this little parable that he quotes in verse 35, chapter 4, verse 35, when he says, Do you not say four more months and then the harvest? What does this little parable mean? Well, I think it's saying something like, I think the way that it was meant in those days was something like, well, don't worry about the harvest now. We still have four more months to get to that. We can focus on other things now because in four more months it'll be harvest time. Then we can get to work. It's like the opposite of saying another farmer parable metaphor Make hay while the sun shines. That means get to work right now. But I think what this parable, as as it would have been understood, meant was something like, 
Well, don't do today what you can put off until tomorrow. We'll get there when we get there. Rome wasn't built in a day. Relax. It's not harvest time yet. You get the idea. There's a lack of urgency. There's a spirit of procrastination. And as we realize, there's a spirit of disobedience there as well. Because what would happen if the harvest time came? But the farmer didn't feel like bringing it in, going out and doing the hard work of reaping the grain, putting in the long hours required to take in the crops. He would miss out on the harvest. His disobedience would result in the in painful consequences for himself and his family. Well, Jesus is saying the harvest time is not four months away. We can't put it off until then. The harvest time is now. The fields are ripe for the harvest. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, he harvests the crop for eternal life. The harvest is now. What is this harvest? Well, the harvest that he's talking about is a harvest of souls. A harvest of people. A harvest of eternal life. A harvest of men and women to whom the word has been sown where it has taken root and grown and now is ready to be brought into the kingdom of God. This is the harvest of eternal life, and it's a harvest of eternal life because Jesus, the Messiah, has come to defeat death, put death aside, so that all those who believe in Him can have eternal life. And brothers and sisters, the harvest wasn't limited to the group of people that were coming to Jesus as he was teaching his disciples about this. The Samaritans, who at that very time were the harvest. No, the harvest is now, today too. It continues today. As long as God is merciful with this world and gives us, his church, time to broadcast the message of salvation, the time of the harvest is now. It's time for us to work the fields and bring in the harvest of eternal life. The harvest is where the powerful word and work of Jesus Christ are are, are broadcast, are spread into this world, where they meet up with a world that's burdened with sin, which is afflicted with misery, trouble, suffering, persecution, war. Where the message of Jesus Christ is meets this soil, that's where the harvest is to be brought. And so the field is all around us. Many suffering under sin, their own sin, sins of others. Suffering the consequences of sin, troubled lives, discontentment, wearied, disillusioned. The word is sown through the preaching of the gospel, and as God's people carry that gospel into this world, through a church that witnesses to Jesus Christ. So we have to lift lift up our eyes and see the harvest. Look upon the fields. See that they are ripe for the harvest. We have to see with spiritual eyes. The harvest wasn't limited to the Samaritans. We lift up our eyes and see with the eyes of faith and see with spiritual eyes the need for the gospel in the sin-sick and wearied world, the harvest time is now. 
And the goal of the harvest is the harvest. This should be pretty obvious, you would think. Of course, the goal of the harvest is the harvest. What does that mean? Well, it's obvious when we're talking about the harvest that that's the goal, but it's not always so obvious when we're talking about the sowing and the reaping, especially the sowing. The sower and the reaper aren't always working at the same time, of course, right? They don't always see each other. The sower doesn't always know that the reaper later is going to be reaping the harvest. So they're not always working toward the same goal or mindful of the same thing. In verse 37, Jesus quotes yet again another parable, another what seems to be a common saying, one sows and another reaps. Now, again, it's not easy to know exactly how this one was understood, but I think if we look at this in the way that Jesus turns it on its head, It was something that maybe was speaking about the unfairness of life. You know, one sows, another reaps. You might sow, do the hard work of sowing, but another person might come along and just reap the benefits of it. Such is life. Right? It's a pessimistic view of life. Well, you might be busy doing the sowing now, but who knows if you're actually going to reap the harvest from that. Well, that's a really short-term view of life, and it's one that's not consistent with the view that the sowing and the reaping are all about the harvest. Since the harvest is the goal, the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. Psalm 126, the sower goes out sowing his seeds with tears, but when the harvest is, is brought in, then the sower too is glad. He may sow in turmoil, in great difficulty, with great frustration of results, But when the harvest comes in, then the sower and the reaper rejoice together. But what Jesus is pointing out to his disciples, in fact, in verses 37 and 38, is that the disciples aren't even the ones who have the hard work. They're the ones who get to reap in the harvest. They're the ones who get to reap the benefits of the other's labor. So who are the sowers and who are the reapers? Well, the disciples are the reapers. And so the sowers must be the the saints and the prophets in the Old Testament who had the very difficult job of sending out the message of God's salvation, of repentance and faith. Read the book of Jeremiah or Ezekiel. And then you get a taste of how difficult this job of sowing God's word was to the wicked and disobedient, stubborn people of Israel. They labored, speaking God's word to God's people and even to the nations. And yet, for them, the time of the Messiah hadn't come. They couldn't see the results. The time of the abundant harvest among the Gentiles would bring... They hadn't seen that harvest. They hadn't seen the new covenant and the time of the Spirit going out into the whole world. They could only see dimly and prophesy to a stubborn and rebellious people. But now, Jesus is saying, now the time of the harvest is here. Why? Because now the Messiah is here. Jesus Christ, the the Son of God, the long-promised Messiah, is now in the world, and therefore, the harvest is here. He's the one who came from God, who brought light to a dark world, came to fight and overcome death, came to strike a mortal wound to the head of Satan came to pour out His Holy Spirit on His servants. He came to bring a new and a better kingdom. 
He came to establish the eternal kingdom of God and to sit on that throne. He came to destroy the barriers between Jews and Gentiles. He came to spread the gospel throughout the world. And He came to bring in a harvest among God's people for the praise of God's glory and fame. And that's the message then that is to be sown throughout the world. That the Messiah has come. He has come to bring salvation, redemption, and freedom, and life. In the time in which Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the time that that He began with His coming into this world, is the time that we now live in when the sower and the reaper rejoice together. The Word goes out, and many are brought to faith. The sower and the reaper are working side by side. They don't have to wait anymore. That's how productive this time is because it's the time of the new kingdom. The time of Jesus Christ, the righteous Son of God, doing the work. And for the disciples, the harvest was right before their eyes in the lives of the Samaritans. We need to realize that as Jesus was saying these words, it was coming true right before their eyes. You can, you notice that first, the woman goes out and mentions to the Samaritans, he told me everything I ever did, and they believe and they come to see the Christ. And then we get a break in which he's talking to the disciples, and then it returns back to the Samaritans. So what's happening while he's talking to the disciples? Well, all these Samaritans are coming. They're coming to hear. You notice in verse 35 of our text, it says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. If you have a different translation of the Bible, it might say, they are white with the harvest. Of course, for a physical harvest, the whiteness refers to the tips of, of the barley. The whole field becomes white, and that means it's ready now for the harvest. But many point out that the Samaritans would traditionally wear white outer garments. And so as Jesus is explaining these things to his disciples, and he tells them to look up and see the white fields, he's probably referring not to the fields of barley, but to the fields of Samaritans coming to them. And so there it was, right before their eyes. The Samaritans were the estranged Jewish half-cousins, despised and hated but now is the time of the spiritual harvest and the fruition of the work of sowing for so many years. And many, we read, believed because of the testimony of the woman. And many more would believe when they heard the word of God as Jesus stayed with them for two days. And so it happened right before their eyes. But I'd like to point out with you, just as we finish off here, how this harvest happens, because that also gets illustrated with the Samaritans. Because you see right here the work of sowing that is being done. The woman goes out to her friends, her fellow Samaritans, and says, I've seen the Christ. She testifies to Jesus, and because of that, others believe. So she's sowing the word, the message of the Messiah. But then also, the people hear the word of God. Because of his words, many more believed, in verse 41. More sowing of the word. And then the people say later, 
In verse 42, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. So three times there that the word, the word, the word, the testimony, the words of Jesus, hearing the word, this word is being sown and it's having an effect. And brothers and sisters, that is how it continues to be done today. Through the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the message of Jesus, the Messiah, that's the sowing work that is being done. That's why from this pulpit, we are so intent on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that has to be at the center of the message because that is what is effective for the harvest. That is the work of sowing. It's why we're trying to point to Jesus, to urge you to to have faith in Jesus. If you don't know Him, to urge you to repent and, and come to Him, to listen to His Word, to submit yourself and obey, to find your life in Him. And that's why for you it's a good thing if you can urge your neighbors or your co-workers or others who you know to come to church to hear the Word. Because the Word is what God uses to plant the seed in people's heart that will grow and bear a harvest of eternal life. And that's why in the month of April we'll be preaching a kind of a special series of sermons a bit more focused on some of the questions that our world has about who Jesus is and and what a difference He makes in this world. And it would be an excellent opportunity for you to bring others here. And it's the word that gets carried out in your lives as well as you bear testimony to Jesus, just like the Samaritan woman. As you call people to examine, to look at, and believe in the Christ. As you bring the word of God into the world. That's the sowing part. That's what gets shown here with the Samaritans. And the second part is the reaping. And what is reaped here is, of course, that beautiful confession at the end. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. A people who formerly were estranged from God who were enemies of God, who did not know God and worship Him as He ought to be worshipped, now upon hearing the Word, they say those beautiful words, this man really is the Savior of the world. He is the one who brings redemption, the one sent from God. This is the confession which flows from the whole Christian life. And that's what we are working toward as we sow the Word of God. It's this confession. Sometimes, maybe we think that we have to convert someone's political views before they become a Christian. Oh, well, they're a little too left-wing or right-wing or whatever. We're going to have to change that before they fit in church. No. Sometimes we think we need to convert their social life. Well, they're they're hanging around with the wrong people. I don't think they're going to like it in church. No. Sometimes we think we need to convert their entertainment budget before they can come to God. No. The very first act is reaping the confession that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and everything else will flow from that. To believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that is what is important. That is the harvest of eternal life and everything else will flow from that. 
When Jesus stands at the center of your life as Lord, as Lord of the harvest, then you become attentive to His Word and obedient to Him. You have to put the first things first. And that is the heartfelt and sincere confession that is eternal life, that Jesus is the Savior. That's the confession that the Holy Spirit is working toward as He works powerfully through His Word and makes the seed of the Word become a living, growing plant ready for the harvest to bring glory to God the Father. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.